0: If you want this podcast free of ads, follow us now on patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams.
1: Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com.
2: Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com.
0: understand the economy, you have to understand human nature.
1: This podcast is powered by ACAST.
0: How are you doing there? It is actually podcast time, a bizarre podcast today here, which is the central metro station in Kiev. The central metro station in Kiev is where we four or five lines cross, but what is extraordinary here in Kiev, really The fact that life goes on in this city. Electricity is on, water is on, the place is running. These are all people coming and going back to work, back to school, etc. Now, what you'll notice is an absence of young folks, of young men. It's mainly women of every age, very few young men, obviously, because they're on the front line. But something extraordinary has happened here. And again, this is just my impression of the last two days, which is that life kind of is going on. I mean, just check it out. These are normal people doing their thing. And maybe one of the most extraordinary things that Zelensky has done is the following. Somebody once said that the role of a leader is to understand the anxieties of the people and do something about it. Now, what he's done is he's managed to preserve the notion that life can go on. And that alone, having spoken to loads of Ukrainians in the last two or three days, has been what has kept them going, that life can go on. So you'll have all my reflections on this quick visit to Kiev. Extraordinary place, extraordinary times.
1: Wow, I was looking at that clip. But first of all, Mac, I'm delighted you're back.
3: (laughs) Safe and sound, I really am.
1: And what a trip, what an adventure that was. But what, what is extraordinary about that clip, and you've sent a few clips from Kyiv, was, as you mentioned in that, it was a really busy train yeah, station. I mean, I would, loads of people around, loads of people getting on with life, albeit war-torn life. Yeah. But they're getting on with, What was it like? Well, Give us a run I, I, down.
0: I, I, the, That was one of, the, one of the things that really struck me was the fact that there's no panic in Ukraine. Yeah, yeah. So I kind of expected there to be a real sense of foreboding, a real sense of jeopardy, a real sense of impending trauma. What you found was the opposite. And it's a sort of an interesting thing that when a people are attacked, something changes in the national psyche, in the collective psyche. And, you know, you could call it courage, you could call it spirit, you could call it it's weird in Ukraine. It was almost like a kind of a brazenness, like a cheekiness, as if they were mm. going to stick in their two fingers up to Moscow and saying, "Listen, we know you're the boss man. We know you're much bigger, but we're here and we're going to fight." And so that was the first thing. The first thing. But the second thing, it's very, very clear to me that the authorities in Kyiv understood profoundly the psychology, which is keep everything going. So, for example, everything is open when it can be now. Every now and then, the electricity goes because yeah, electricity is yeah. rationed. Now, I was extremely lucky that in the week I was there, there were hardly any rockets into Ukraine, full stop, and into Kyiv, mm. right? And Was that was, to do? That was to do with Putin? apparently there was some. No, there a so because we were waiting, we were waiting. I was talking to the Ukrainians, and and they said, look, this we were we were blessed. There's been some sort of handover in, in military yeah, command. Yeah,
1: Putin fired his general Armageddon was what he was called. Oh yeah, and yeah. He yeah. was supposed to be this big hard man who was going to go in and obliterate. He was a, the guy who was responsible for Aleppo and flattening yeah. Aleppo and all of nice that. Nice guy. Exactly. So well, I, I, I have I, no idea who the new guy well, I, is. I think
0: I was quite lucky because there has been an interregnum in Moscow in the last six days, yeah. and during that period, they didn't shoot any rockets into Kiev, and I think they they shot them in just just as I was leaving on Saturday. Yeah. And it starts again. So for the period, but I mean, it's interesting. You don't you don't sleep very well uh, in a place like so, that yeah. because you're you're kind of constantly on edge. You're 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 very much aware of the fact that anything can happen at any at any time but what is interesting is this idea of life going on mm. this idea that the ukrainians have steeled themselves and these are these are people who have gone through all sorts i mean once you sit and you talk to ukrainians and you listen to their history mm. and listen to their side of the argument and listen to their logic for what they're doing i mean you really see a nation that has been battered bruised knocked around The whole idea is they're still there, and this is the idea we're still here. Is when you sit and you talk to them, what they're basically saying is we're not going anywhere, right? And they actually believe they're going to win. We can talk about this in a minute, but the impression you get is of a country that has got over the worst, that actually feels now they're on the right side. Number one, because they've been. It's a bit like Ireland, you know. Ireland's occupied. Irish people should understand this, you know we were occupied for years and that has destroyed culture, it's changed us, it's given us a, a lot of our sense of ourselves, right? The Ukrainians feel the same way. Yeah. So for an Irish person, it's very easy to get what's going on, but they regard Russia as a massive, massive colonial power. And their views that since Peter the Great, Russia has been expansionist, colonial power. Ukraine was the first of the Russian colonies. This is their view. Mm. And Russia has done everything over the last 400 years to obliterate Ukrainian culture, Ukrainian identity, Ukrainian language. Although they'll always say to you, and it's very interesting, that the Kievskaya Rus, which was the original civilization, yeah. outdates Moscow. Kiev outdates Moscow by four or 500 years. So they'll say we right, were here right, first. Right, so actually, it's us that gave them their culture. But anyway, yeah. the point is, when I come back, the, the overwhelming sense of the city is defiance. And defiance is an unbelievably potent emotion. Because it actually sets the tone for everything. And it really is. It's a a fuck you attitude. So, I mean, for example, the other night I went to a comedy show. Oh, right. You just don't think this is going to happen, right? So I met a friend of mine. So basically, I went in there with a guy called Sasha Kabanovsky, who's a mate of mine. Yeah. And a bizarre backstory I'll give to you. We'll be talking to Sasha on Thursday. But the reason I know Sasha, it's really strange, right? Is that the woman who taught me Russian in 1991 in Russia. Yeah, uh, in that little uh, town. Right? Yeah, in that little town, Her daughter is Sasha's best mate. Now, the reason we know all this is that when I was there, I wanted to go to Leningrad. I was in this little town. I got really bored after a while yeah. of learning Russian and being in the middle of nowhere. And I wanted to see Leningrad, right? And so I said to the teacher, my teacher,
3: yeah.
0: I said, look, I'm going to go to Leningrad. She said, well, you can't. She are you're, 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 you're too Western, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. You look like an Egypt. Like, you don't look like one of us. I've always said that. Will, and people will know straight away that you're not yeah. one of us and, and it's dangerous. And all okay, that sort of okay, stuff. yeah. And she said, look, what I'll do is you can stay with my cousins in Leningrad, okay? But what I'll do is I'll take you there. And then she couldn't because she was teaching. She said, look, my daughter will take you there. So her daughter took me to Leningrad. And we stayed intermittently in contact over years and years. Like every mm. now, and then, every couple of years, like an email or something. Like yeah, that. yeah, yeah. And then Sasha is her daughter, Nastia's best mate. And that's how we all met. So it's right. very hard life. Life kind of, it goes in kind of cycles. You meet people in a different time, different yeah, yeah, generations. Yeah, yeah, and all that. And again, staying with her family in Leningrad gave me a sense. Staying in Russia gave me a sense of the Russians, maybe a little bit more of a sense of, of that part of the world than, than, than many, most Irish people have. But so... What, what intrigued me, so Sasha and I were there and we met a friend and he said, well, why don't we go out tonight? And I said, go out tonight? Now, the interesting thing is there is a curfew yeah, and the curfew is at 10 o'clock and it's absolute. So the lights go out. It's really quite eerie, right? And the curfew is only for men. This is the interesting thing. Really? What? Yeah. So women can stay on the street, but men cannot. Because women keep why? the whole place. Because Kiev is run by women now. The men are gone. Right. And because they're worried about Russian special forces being dropped in. It's kind of black ops being dropped in. Okay. Onto the So streets. any man on the street so is treated with suspicion. No, you're gone. You're you, you just can't you, you know they'll put you in the clink. Right. So at ten o'clock, everything goes black. So you can imagine a city that's quite vibrant, and there's bars opens, there's restaurants opens, there are shops open, there's people coming and going, and then ten o'clock it just goes completely black. Silent, it goes dark, the lights go off, and it's a full-on curfew. For blokes, right? Right. Not for women. But before that. So everything starts. If you want to go out, everything starts about five o'clock. It's like as if the whole night has been turned on its way. Why did the Russians send
1: in black ops
0: women? Because the Ukrainians are not worried about that. They've obviously figured that out. Right. But also the whole point is that somebody has to keep the place going. Yeah. You know? So that's very, very strange. So so when you go to bed at night, the amazing thing is when you wake up in the middle of the night, as you do there, because you know you don't sleep very well. Yeah. You're in the middle of a city of three million people in the center and five million people in the metropolitan area. So it's actually huge. Yeah, it's a big it's, city. Wow. It's quiet. It's silent, silent. Like you look at the window of the hotel I was in and nothing's moving and there's no sound. There's no light. It's really weird. It's really eerie. And, and all you can hear is military vehicles right. going around, right? And that's very, very strange. Who else was staying in that hotel? I got I wasn't I wasn't down at reception saying who's yeah. very few there was nobody else there yeah 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 there was nobody room else room there. service no there was no room service there was no room service said, excuse me is the spa open today yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah exactly but but, but tell the, us about that the comedy so, club so the comedy club actually look I tell you why don't we listen to a clip from yeah. the comedy club right and this again it shows you when I say defiance the people are laughing yeah through the tragedy. And this is one. and of course, they keep saying, Zelensky's a comedian. They say, this is what we do, right? We're laughing. We're using humor to explain the world to ourselves and to you guys, yeah. to the rest of us. And of course, the most extraordinary thing. This is how educated young Ukrainians are. They're doing the stand-up in English, not in Ukrainian, not in Russian, in English, so have a listen to this.
2: <laughs> uh, maybe they were not friends. So I was walking between the air sirens and there were people on a picnic during the rocket challenge. And I was like, yeah, hey, it's fine. Cool. we on the left side, the underground is closed. rocket's not going to get here. <laughs> uh, I think that we are all uh, treat rockets now and shahids like annoying thing. Like it's a life-death situation, but we're like... (sighs) Like now. (laughs) I have my nail appointment (laughs) couldn't you fucking wait for two hours (laughs) you hate Russia (laughs) we know that Russians are very smart yes uh, we all know that Russians are strategic thinkers (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, that's funny already they always think three steps back three steps back (laughs) (laughs) they're like I'm a genius well I have no clue. What did they expect when they uh, sent this piece from Rogozin's ass to French embassy? <laughs> I would fucking give thanks to. versus <laughs> versus
0: <laughs> <laughs> this is, this is some shit. <laughs> That's hilarious stuff. No, I'll tell you. Uh, but, it, but you're right. It's like, what's with the English? How come it's in English? Look, that 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 comedian's name, right? Yeah. Is Anna Kochehura, and the majority of the comedians were comedians were young girls. Well, yeah. Young women, right? They're all hilarious. They're all taking the piss out of Russia. They're all laughing at the situation. And it is gallows humor, but it gives you a sense yeah. of the spirit of the people. Yeah. That, you know, their sense is, look, we are in a fight for our lives. As they said to, to me, Russia can lose many times. Ukraine can only lose once. Ooh, and yeah. I thought that was yeah, very yeah. interesting. Yeah. We're in a fight for our lives. Our brothers, our dads, our mates, our boyfriends are down on the front line, but we're not going to crumble. Mm. We're going to laugh. We're going to joke. We're going to try and live as well as we can. Spirit of the Blitz and it, that kind it, of all stuff. All that sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, all yeah. that sort of stuff. You know. And I mean, well, How many people were in, were in that? So, club? So, they, so it's called the underground, the clubs, right? Because okay. basically, the whole idea is the underground is 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 your safety. So every time you're in the like the hotel. Has a direction to the underground. Just so when the when the sirens go off, you go straight down to the basement. Right. Or ideally, you go into the underground. The underground system is unbelievably comprehensive.
3: Yeah, and the again, and it's really deep.
0: It's incredibly deep. Yeah, know? that's yeah. the it's the only time I've ever felt that sense of relief as you go down escalators, which are really deep, mm. and you think, oh, I like I like being down here. Yeah, this yeah. is really nice. I felt my my cultural home was in the underground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was I'd say there was about sixty in the place, and I mean the first joke was. Anna came on and she said, how many foreigners are here? And about seven of us put up our hands. She goes, oh my God, seven. There was none last week. We must be winning. <laughs> and the whole place just erupted, right? She goes, you're the best leading. You guys, you, 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 are almost always like, you foreigners are the best leading indicator, please, you <laughs> yeah. know? But like, this is a straw poll. Are we winning. So it was about 60. There was a couple of foreigners. And I mean, again, what you find is that there was, there was a few D-mob soldiers there. There were People like me, of which was very, very few. There was a couple of people with Ukrainian partners there who've obviously stayed during the whole bombing. Yeah. It was a very good mishmash of all types. But what is, again, fascinating is the vast majority of the people in the comedy club were Ukrainian and the language of operation was English. Now, that is really, that is curious. And I asked them about the English and they said, oh, I'm just learning from YouTube. <laughs> it's just hilarious. You know, I said, we learned it from Disney when we were kids and now we learn from YouTube. And I, one of them said, I said, what do you do? They said, why don't you just stay on TikTok? You know? <laughs> So they're like normal people. This is the whole idea. You have normal people put in the most abnormal circumstances. And the extraordinary thing is the defiance with which bombing and being attacked engenders. It's unity, it's defiance, it's a sense that tomorrow's going to be better, it's a sense that there is light at the end of the tunnel, and it's very clear the Zelensky government has figured this out and is offering them normality in any way, shape possible. Yeah. So that's why everything remains open, even though most of it's dark. Like it remains open. There's no electricity. Yeah, yeah So you've got yeah, to yeah. go into places. Yeah. It's like, oh, where are we going in here? And then you have a little generator. You can hear a little generator in the corner, <laughs> and there might be a little bit of light. Right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And but they they try to keep the whole place going, and that's that's the resilience. Give us another clip. Okay, I will. I will listen to this.
2: And also, I was thinking about how my life changed uh, since the invasion. Besides the obvious things before, because I I haven't left country, uh, and it's uh, well, I could, but it's my choice. And I noticed that I stopped drinking so much because of curfew. Um, I, st- I started. Yeah, that's the only thing that's stopping me. <laughs> um, I started to go to bed earlier and I have now a food supply for two weeks. I work out because I have no electricity and live on 12th floor. And think, what's the plan here, Russia? <laughs> Healthy lifestyle. <for> <laughs> if I don't have uh, electricity or internet I read fucking books what, what do you want from us? us to be even better stronger and smarter like, people that live on 12th floor like 20 and, and higher they're gonna kill Russians with low kicks <laughs> what, what's the plan? <laughs> I don't know. But remember when we all used to be afraid of nuclear war? What a time! Uh, I love it that we don't fucking care anymore.
0: <laughs> That's brilliant well, stuff. Is, that it is it is again, and th- this gives you a sense of the spirit of the city. Yeah. And, and, and I and I think <laughs> I think it's hilarious. Yeah, no, it isn't. And I think it's quite representative. So, for example, Sasha was visiting his cousins, his yeah. aunties, and they're all the same idea. So tell us about the the journey there. Okay. How would you get in there? But it's not that complicated, John. There's a there's a flight at twenty five right. past seven on a Monday and Friday. There is a Ryanair flight to a city called Lublin right. in eastern Poland. Yeah, and you just buy the ticket. It was twenty eight euros. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I was actually thinking it was it was amazing because obviously, and the plane is full of Ukrainians. Yeah. Typical Ryanair plane, you know, the kind of chaos at at, uh, at Ryanair Dublin Airport early in the morning. You get on the plane, and I expected it to be mainly Poles. Mm. It's, a, it's, a, it's a plane going to Poland, but sure. mainly Ukrainians. And many women, grannies, mothers, teenagers, little kids on this plane. That was kind of really reassuring because I kind of said to myself, Whatever angst you have or fear, like if these three generation of Ukrainian women can actually do this, mm. so can you, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's the usual Ryanair <laughs> stuff. They're trying to flog scratch cards to these people and just look at them saying, "I'm not buying yes, any card." Here, could have a fiver for a cup of tea. These people are not doing it. And then we get off the plane. It's about three hour flight, and then. You, you're in Poland, mm. and then you there's a thing called Flixbus. I don't know if you've ever been on a it, John. It's a big continental. It's a bus service. Right. So I just kind of followed the Ukrainians, and I had to get down to a town on the border, which is about another two hours from Lublin. Right. Impronounceable Polish name, Gemzul. That's exactly. fine. That and this work, yeah. and this is where the train goes. Right. To Ukraine, and of course, direct to Kiev or via Lviv, and then or Lviv, right. and then to Kiev. But the bizarre thing is you are then with displaced people. And one thing really struck me is the thing we forget most about displaced people is the fact that they have to wait. It's the waiting. I was waiting for hours in the border. It's freezing cold. You're waiting. Displaced people, they wait for passports. They wait for visas. They wait for tickets. They wait for permission, right? And when you kind of forget that if you're displaced, and this goes- Who is holding them up? Well, just in general, because they're kind of displaced. They're kind of, they're, they're without a home. Yeah. So what basically happens is if you don't have a home, and if you're- slightly on edge and this is there's millions of people in the world like this right you're living as these ukrainians are on the basis the kindness of strangers Mm. you're hoping that the person you meet is going to be kind you're hoping that the soldier you meet is going to be cheery you're hoping that the official you meet is going to give you the papers you need yeah yeah and so you lose all control over your life and this when i was standing waiting for them waiting with them in, in, in Poland, and it was very, very cold. So this is at night. So yeah. we've left. We've left Dublin at seven in the morning. It's about eight in the evening now. So it's a long, right. long trip, and it's freezing cold. It's about minus four, or minus five. And you're outside, and you're waiting. Yeah. But I remember years ago being in Russia and being really intrigued, not necessarily by the KGB or the, the, the ideology, but was the little sort of almost dancing on the spot movements that Russian women yeah, did yeah, yeah. when they're waiting in the cold to keep your feet warm. <laughs> yeah. So we're all kind of dancing on the spot at this stage, waiting for the Polish guys to to open the border. And, and it was just that sense of we have autonomy as people who live in a normal country. We have sovereignty. We can do ourselves. We've got some control over take our it lives. Take well, Yeah, we do. Mm. And you really take it for granted. And then you realize that there's a whole world out there of people who wait for others to give them permission to do things. So I was joining that part of yeah. society then. And eventually the, the train comes in. It's a big old hulk of a thing. And you get into the train, you go through the passport control. There's no passport control into Ukraine. Yeah. It's a free for all. there's not that many people obviously going. Uh, sure. You know, yeah. There's not big queues <laughs> far from Ukrainians. And away you go. How long is that trip then? It's twelve hours. So it's a long, it's a long right, train. Yeah, yeah. You get used to sleeping, sitting up when you're there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, then, and there's twelve hours back as well on the bus, which is even even I'll tell you about that. I could do the train, not the bus. Oh uh, the man. bus, the bus, the bus was a bit rickety as well. And it's yeah, breaking down. Oh, but it doesn't matter. But then you're in Ukraine and everything goes dark again. Mm and all all internet signal goes that's the right. interesting everything goes to make you cross the border right and that's a bit nice. eerie and wow. then the ukrainian soldiers come on and this was this intrigued me they're all women they okay. all have kind of kalashnikovs kind of casually over their shoulders like uh, you know these are girl young women who should have kind of rucksacks going to college yeah but that's in a different world In this world they've kalashnikovs they lock each carriage this is the interesting thing so you get on like four or five soldiers get on they lock each carriage so nobody can go in or out. Right. And I said to the guy beside me, "I said, what's the story here?" He said, "They're worried about Russian saboteurs all the time, so they need to check exactly who's coming in, check wow. every single passport, check my passport." They were kind of looking at me, like
1: so. They've obviously had experience yeah. of Russian saboteurs, yeah, yeah.
0: and 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 they really go through everybody. Like, I mean, yeah. They looked at me. What are you doing here? Why are you doing here? Et cetera, et cetera. Chatting away, and then of course one of them says, "Oh, you're from Ireland? Oh, my mates over in Ireland." <laughs> about that. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was a bit of that. He's working on the site. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: more or less, yeah. more or less. And then, so then, then basically the train goes through. If you, if you've ever, if anybody's ever travelled in in that part of the world, it's birch forests, right? There's birch yeah, forests for miles yeah. and miles and yeah. miles, and it's just you, you go through the Ukrainian night, and in the beginning you don't want to fall asleep. You're a bit nervous, and and now of course because the trains have been bombed quite yeah. a bit, and the train stops. Every now and then, for hours, yeah. But eventually, you know, normal human relations—you just fall asleep and you wake up, and you're you're in in Kiev, more
1: or less. And, and but what were you <laughs> feeling like? Were you on edge? Were you nervous? Were you you're a little bit or were nervous? you, you know—the way when, when other people, as you were saying earlier, that when people are being casual or they're not so much casual, but getting on with it, that that in itself gives you, yeah, a, kind the, of yeah, yeah, a, you a bit of security. You take
0: your lead for the from the yeah. Ukrainian granite. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, these are these are stoic people, right? Yeah. These are stoic women. There were lots of chatting. There was lots of kids. Kids were intrigued. They were chatting away to me in English. Kids have obviously learned their English here in Ireland. On TikTok. Yeah, no, the <laughs> TikTok would be later on TikTok. But little kids, you know, yeah. you know, little kids with country accents. You Little Ukrainian kids have been yeah. here for five months, right, with Limerick and Claire yes, accents. Yeah, of course. Yeah, 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 of um, So it was kind of like, it's weird because you know that potentially you're going into the heart of darkness, like yeah. you're going into a dark place, right? So it's more apprehension than fear. You're, it's more worried about what you might see coming up. So every time you feel normality, there's a sort of a collective sigh of relief. Your mm. body goes, oh, okay, that's fine, right? But there is always a sense that you're going to, to into a place you don't understand, doesn't understand you. Mm. That could be dangerous. And then you arrived in Kiev. And but did you have a handler,
1: like somebody who was no. kind of navigating this for you? No,
0: no. I just well, I went with Sasha. Yeah. Well, you met Sasha there, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. But but no, we just went from a Todd. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I suppose it's an odd thing to do, but uh, it is a weird question because but this is
1: something that that I would think about is food. <laughs> It's just just me, okay. But I just I do want to ask you this. So so <laughs> I wasn't thinking about food. <laughs> no, but if, but if you like, do you pop into shop for Mars bar? You know when you're a bit peckish, or you know. Yes, uh, yes is the and answer. It, and so everything if, on that level is everything's working more everything. or less. Everything's a,
0: working. You need, to, okay. you need to you need to you need to get on, on on on. I just first, need to ask you that. You need to get in first name terms with borscht, Okay, <laughs> <laughs> with beetroot soup. That's that's yeah, what yeah. keeps you going. But I mean, again, what I'm saying is come back to the, the the original point that keeping the city as normal as possible is a psychological imperative of the government. So the lights are on when they can be. Mm. The heating's on when it can be. It's incredibly cold. I mean, it's minus eight or nine, which is a sort of, you know, for, for paddies, that's like, yeah, I yeah, here, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah Uh I'm sure. The, the lights are on when they can be. Shops are open when they can be. So there is... A huge effort being put in by everybody not to panic. Yeah, and that is an incredibly powerful weapon for any population to have.
1: Do you know? I'm I'm really curious about what happens over the next year, 2023. Looking ahead to Ukraine after the war. Yeah, let's have a talk about that after we do this.
3: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
1: So, Mike, what does the future hold for Ukraine, in your view?
0: It's clear to me now that Ukrainians will not lose, that the West will not allow Ukraine to lose. So much money, so much strategic impact, so many arms, so many people have already died that the Ukrainians will not back down. It's very, very obvious to me that the people are in no mood to compromise. Mm. Everyone you spoke to, rich, young, old, poor, people from the country, people from the city, people whose brothers are fighting, people who are fighting. We met a good few soldiers who were up in Kiev there's no way in the world they're going to compromise. This is this is so obvious to me. Yeah, yeah. And now maybe maybe, but events might overshadow them. But sure. it's very very clear that Russia, thus far, has proven. I mean, you could hear it in the comedy. I mean, the Ukrainians just take the piss out of them as <laughs> like, yeah. the dumbest people in the world, right? Yeah. That has proven that their military strategy is from the Second World War. It doesn't yeah. work. Yeah, the Ukrainians have proven that with a much more nimble force, they can actually out smart, outgun, outfox the Russians. The Russians took loads of territory in the surprise attack on the 24th of February because it was a surprise attack. Once the Ukrainians got their act together, they fought back and the Russians have, you know, the Russians have have obviously evacuated from all around Kiev and all around the northern part. And they're now focusing everything around Donbass. But my sense is that Ukraine, there is an extraordinary energy in Ukraine now change the system. So their basic idea is the following, that they're going to win, they feel, right? The ceasefire may or may not include the whole of Ukraine. We can come back to that in a minute. Mm-hmm. But they are going to win in the sense that they've already won. Ukraine has already won this. I mean, Russia has already lost in in terms of what its objectives were, in terms yeah. of what Putin's objectives was. It was going to be a three or four week war. They were going to replace Zelensky. They were going to put in a puppet. They were going to change the regime. That's all over. Yeah. So the Ukrainians have won in effect, Thus far,
1: but a lot of the talk at the moment, though, in the West or the West is beginning to turn. Where uh, some of the stuff I'm reading, anyway, is, is is beginning to turn to okay. Now it's time to talk, and now it's time to compromise. But you're saying
0: I don't think absolutely so.
1: Absolutely well, when when I,
0: when I was there, Zelensky was meeting the prime ministers and presidents of the Baltic countries yeah. and Poland. Yeah. In so basically, I went to Kiev. Zelensky went the other way, Klevov. Yeah. Right? I went east, he went west. So there's a there's a very clear alliance of former Soviet bloc, Soviet, how would you say, influenced countries mm. that now see this opportunity as a way to reshape the entire map of Central and Eastern Europe. And that map will be reshaped and Ukraine will be at the heart of it, at the core of it. But what they were telling me is that. The demobilized soldiers will come back from the front. This is their assumption, right? And those guys do not want to go back to the kleptocracy, the olig... I mean, Ukraine was a kleptocracy, right? A really serious, corrupt country. The worst performing of all post-Soviet countries because of corruption. There is a feeling that the soldiers are going to come back and change it. They're going to demand a stake in the society. And that's an incredibly dynamic and unusual force, right? That... The way I look at it is is the British soldiers who came back after the Second World War, right, came back from from fighting the Nazis, they chucked out Churchill. Basically, the amazing thing is they voted, the British soldiers mobilized for the welfare state. The welfare state in England was born on the beaches of D-Day, of Normandy. Those soldiers came back and they said, We didn't beat the Nazis to give this back to the aristocracy, Churchill, you and your mates. We want to create a new society. So they created the welfare state from the absolute imperative of the demobilized soldiers to change the society having won. The Ukrainians are hoping for the same thing. The soldiers are going to come back and say, no corruption, liberal democracy. It always has been quite a vibrant democracy, but the corruption has been endemic. That's the first thing. So they see the soldiers as a potential force for social change. And they look at the UK, although they didn't say it, it was, I was actually saying, okay, they, they were saying, I said, well, the UK might be the model, the UK after the Second World War. The worry is also, another part of the world that I know a bit about, the Balkans, mm. is the soldiers came back from the Balkan War in Croatia and in Serbia, and they had a different impact on society. So in Serbia in particular, but to a lesser extent in Croatia, soldiers came back and they were very quickly disillusioned with the peace. They'd won the war in the Croatian case, yeah, they yeah, lost yeah, the war. Yeah. The Serbian case, they're disillusioned, with whatever peace, and they became very nationalistic and atavistic. And Croatia is now just emerging from that. But for the last two decades, Croatia and Serbia have been dictated by the legacy of the war. They haven't moved on. Yeah. So that's a, so soldiers come back in in two minds. In in the Second World War, there was we're going to change the world. In the Balkan War, there was we're going to go back to refighting this war again. Yeah. So that's the worry. I was. I was also thinking that maybe, you know, Ukraine, because it's so big and because it's got huge natural resources, could do worse than looking at a country for post-war reconstruction like North Korea and South Korea. South Korea is the best performing economy in the world, has been the last 40 years. So maybe they could look at South Korea. They don't necessarily have to take an IMF you know, they say, look, what do other countries do? And it will be similar because they will still have Russia on their border. In the same way, South Korea still has North Korea on the border. Yeah. They'll still have an enemy on their border. So they, they could do that. But I mean...
1: But they, they're, they're also starting from a lower base insofar as their infrastructure is absolutely trashed. And, yeah, no, it and, is. And they have to build the, the, the basic stuff first in order to but South Korea built a high-tech
0: But South community. Korea was poorer than Ghana in 1967. South Korea was one of the poorest wow. countries in the world. And its infrastructure was totally destroyed by the Korean War as well. So that's one idea. And then you think, okay, what sort of options do they have? Now, the obvious option is that Ukraine will become the most important country in Europe for the next 10 years. I've no doubt in my mind, because the entire European experience after this war will be containment of Russia. And Europe and the United States will want to turn Ukraine into the frontier state. Yeah. And in order to do that, they're going to have to finance enormous amounts of reconstruction. So, for example, the fast track to the European Union for Ukraine is a given. That's going to happen. Mm. And then, of course, the Americans are just going to write a check, right? Well, and then the thing is, does Ukraine turn into a fortress or a startup nation? Right. Right? So there's lots and lots of people in Europe who will cynically quite be happy for Ukraine to be a barracks right No, yeah, think about yeah, it right yeah, yeah. against russia mm. right but that's not going to deliver anything for ukrainian people so the ukrainians need to figure i mean you know and i was there talking to lots of economists and lots of strategists the ukrainians need to figure out what sort of country they want and there are different models like one model is germany after the second world war so germany the federal republic of germany yeah. becomes this incredibly successful country rebuilt With American money. With American money, I was going to say. Uh, But at the cost of becoming the frontier land between East and West. So Germany was highly militarized, was occupied, and was basically a nuclear dump for the West.
1: Can, Can I just say one thing about American money? Is that if there is a change in presidents and it becomes a Republican president... There is a strong element in the GOP that are very anti-Ukraine. Whether anti-Ukraine or not, they're anti-spending more money on Ukraine.
0: Well, I think that if the Republican Party in America becomes a friend of Putin, which is in effect what you're saying, it will never get elected in again. I mean, there has to be American interests in the State Department, and those American interests can be quite cynical, they can be strategic, they can be like playing chess in the world. Mm. But if your enemy is Russia and the Americans have decided unambiguously that that is the case, the West has decided unambiguously that yeah, that is the case, yeah, yeah. then you have no choice but to support Russia's enemies on Russia's borders. And those enemies are the Baltic sure. states, Poland and Ukraine. Yeah. And that's what Zelensky was doing this week in, in, in Lvov when they all met. Uh, and and I, I think they're going to re reestablish an entire... Entirely different map of Europe, yeah. But in economic terms, you know, you, obviously doing the the German model would be extraordinary. Zelensky himself has hinted at the Israeli model, which is kind of bizarre. What does that look like? Well, basically, what he said is that Israel, you know, and I don't know how he can square, you know, Russian invading the Donbas with the West Bank and not think, hold on a second, there's a similarity here. Yeah, you're yeah, taking yeah. over another person's country, right? Yeah. But be that as it may, and let's let's we can park that for a minute and, and, and talk about it. what he's looking at is, is, is that. Israel is a highly militarized society with an ever-present fear of its neighbors. And therefore, the country is unbelievably militarized. So everybody in military service. That's what's going to happen in Ukraine. It's going yeah. to be highly militarized. But the Israelis have also an extraordinary high-tech economy. Yes. Massive, yeah. incredibly impressive high-tech startup economy. And Zelensky sees that maybe that's what Ukraine looks like. So it doesn't look like a Western European country. Yeah. Because it can't. Yeah. It has to be heavily militarized. Has to have a massive military budget, and it has to have huge conscription of all men and women. But cannot do this and have a high tech, normal economy, because typically, as we've seen in Russia, militaristic economies are disastrous for people. Yeah, because too much resources goes into the military, and not enough resources goes into the real economy. Mm. So that that's another model they can look at. So all these things are, in the mix for you know, is it Germany after the Second World War? Is it South Korea? Or could it be? Yeah. You know, is it Britain after the Second World War in the deep yeah. Demi soldiers? Does it go back to the Balkan thing where you you win a war but you actually lose the peace? Which is very, very clear Right, what could happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, So there's there's more
1: hybrid of all this kind but of stuff. But
0: then the fascinating thing is all the young Ukrainians that I met at the comedy show yeah. were saying, Why not Ireland? <laughs> Rice, a, a, okay uh, as they said they said hold on you were very you were poor and now you're rich and you have all these great companies there and you've a migrant talent and then one of them said you know i'll have what you're having yeah. <laughs> right so because they kind of like this sort of loose sort of proto-american democratic but kind of funny so you know so yeah. so a lot of them are saying what did you guys do because we don't want to be germany they they They've, they've a real fondness for English language speaking countries,
1: right? right? Yeah, yeah. And well, it's clear with their yeah, level of they, they're, English they're just, it's fantastic.
0: We, 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 we don't want to be Israel, you know. Yeah, that's not our that's not our bag. Germany, no. South Korea, yeah, okay. But this, uh, you guys have something. So it was quite interesting. There was a hell of a lot of chat. In economic terms, about what did you do? Yeah. How did you do it? How did you go from being poor to being well off? All that sort of stuff, and that was quite, it was quite interesting. But their 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 awareness—you kind of forget that if if you're on TikTok all the time and you're in an air raid shelter, your awareness of the world is is phenomenal. Of course, yeah, yeah. So so, what I would say is that the Ukrainian position is that they will win. They will win with Western support. The Western position has shifted clearly from let's give the Ukrainians enough to hold out to now let's give the Ukrainians enough weapons to win or to actually force Putin to the table. Now, Putin's long-term idea is we can still grind this out. Our economy hasn't been destroyed by sanctions. We still have huge resources. We still have a massive amount of soldiers we can bring to the front But the Ukrainian view is kind of bring it on. Now, of course, the problem is that the Ukrainian view means thousands more men are going to die,
3: right? Mm, So
0: at a certain stage, somebody's going to have to call a halt to this. Somebody's going to say, hold on a second. The Ukrainians are now talking about getting back the whole of Crimea. Now, that would require a full scale full-scale war with Russia, and God knows what that would do, right? When I say full-scale, the Russians will mobilize everything for that. Yeah, yeah. But the Russians are running out of ammunition. This is what I they, they keep hearing. They're running out of ammunition. They're running out of options. They're stuck in the trenches in, in, in Donbass. Yeah. The Ukrainians are saying, when we get the Leopard tanks, when we get all these, you know, these Abrams tanks, all these things, we will change the direction of attack. And they're all saying that the summer will be the proof of the pudding, where they assume that they're winning. But I mean, that means thousands of people are going to die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thousands of people are going to die. So you have to square all this aspiration of one country, their sense of themselves, with the reality that it's a stalemate now. It's a trench warfare now. And, you know, some Ukrainians would have said, well, look, hold on a second, we need to to do a deal here. So it'd be fascinating to see what happens. But when you're there, that's the key I Come back to it. When you're there, you get the sense of a country that has survived Armageddon, that came within days of capitulation. That's yeah. that's the sense. I went to Irpin and yeah. Bucha, right? The places that those atrocities. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's really close. Like it's 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 about six or seven. The Russians were about six or seven miles from the center of Kiev. Six or seven miles, you can see where they were, right? Yeah, yeah. So it was that close. It was like two or three days. And once the Ukrainians managed, in, however they did it, I don't know how they did it, to hold on, to cling on and gradually recover bits of their country, the confidence that that has given them, the defiance that has given them, is something that flows in their veins now. And you can really feel it. It's palpable. You know, and on Thursday, we're going to talk to Sasha Kabanovsky, yeah. who, who's, you know, he he's, there born, with yeah, you. he's Keith born and bred, all his family are there. Yeah. And it's just fascinating when you're with, with locals, you know, what their view is. So we're going to talk to Sasha, not just about Ukraine, but about the whole Russian experience being a child of the Soviet Union, how they feel about Russia now, yeah. what they want to see in Russia now, the options they believe Russia has. Because again, you know, we're talking about Ukraine, but there's two mm. sides to this. And the Russians have a side. They feel it's legitimate. They feel that they have a of course, point. Yeah. We're talking about Ukraine now. But the Russians, so we let, let's talk about, you know, whether the Russians what they feel or how they're going to go. My own sense, though, is that the Russians are in a complete cul-de-sac here and they're isolated and they know it. Like yeah. Putin knows it. But it was interesting, like last night I went to sleep and it snowed and it's an amazing mm. thing, you know. And I was I was actually, I, I wrote an article for the Irish Times and I ended it with the, uh, the quote from The Dead. Go you on. know, no, fr- and it, you kind of felt that when you're watching James Joyce of The Dead. The very last lines are... Basically, the the snow is all over Ireland. It's a bog of and the whole thing. And it's just, you know, falling faintly. The snow was falling faintly through the universe, faintly falling upon all the living and the dead. And you really felt that in Kiev, that it was the living and the dead. And the place was being entombed by the snow and the silence. But you knew that this was just an illusion, that what was going to go on was going to be something apocalyptic. But it really it kind of came back to me as I was walking around the bizarre little hotel room the other night, yeah. half nervous, waiting for the air raid sirens, which thankfully it never came. A bit of choice, always oh, a way to, always a way to Absolutely. end, to end. But we'll talk to Sasha on Thursday.